heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, talking with you today about the vaccine mandates, particularly as it relates to students being forced to get vaccinated before they return to school this fall, or children being pushed into getting vaccinated when they were excluded from the clinical trials. There are many legal and ethical and medical safety issues at stake in this discussion about what is taking place with the push towards universal vaccination. With me today is a powerful force on the legal front in this constitutional crisis about whether Americans can be forced to take an experimental biological agent against their will and against medical safety in order to go to college, in order to work, in order to fly, in, in a sense, in order to live your life. Tom Renz is an attorney who has been fighting for freedom against the COVID lockdowns and the COVID intrusions on our constitutional rights since early in the pandemic when it became clear that these abuses of our constitutional rights did not have medical grounds in science and in fact were in many cases blue state governors locking down their population in a play of power. So I really am, I have admired Tom Renz for the entire time I've known him through working on the pandemic front, work I've done on the medical front, work he's doing on the legal front. This is a true constitutional crisis. Tom, thank you for joining us today. I know you have much to update our listeners with your major major breaking lawsuit. Tell us about it. Well, uh, we're, we're challenging the EUAs. Uh, we started out talking a little bit about this with kids, but it's going to be expanded here in, in the rest of the filings. You know, the simple fact of the matter is, is that these vaccines have not been properly tested. There's zero justification for their use in children. It's a very clear violation of the law. There are conflicts of interest everywhere. And, uh, you know, basically we're seeing uh, a resurgence of what we did in Guatemala uh, with Tuskegee. And, you know, even what the Nazis did with, you know, in terms of, you know, forcing people to take drugs and vaccinations without informed consent. You just can't do it. It's under Nuremberg, under American law, it doesn't matter how you look at it, it's illegal, but we're doing it. 
Well, tell me why you think that they are getting away, the stakeholders that are pushing this, why are they getting away with such flagrant violations of all known FDA past approaches to safety oversight, all of the regulations that we've had about not extending clinical trials into groups that were not included in the clinical trial. I mean, that's just a no-brainer common sense, but it's also been part of the research guidelines for, for the entire history since the FDA was started, flagrantly violating the law and, and, and flagrantly violating international codes of conduct. How are they getting away with this? Who are the stakeholders? What, what's, what's happening behind the scenes in all the research you've done? Well, we've got the foxes guarding the hen house is the problem, right? So Fauci and his crew and the people at DHHS, they're supposed to be ensuring that these drugs are safe for the public and doing the proper testing and this, that, and the other. Well, they've all got financial interests. Uh, tons of the people who are supposed to be overseeing this have financial interests in the success of these drugs, whether it's financial interest because the pharmaceutical companies are donating to them or to their hospitals or to their institutes, or whether they just have straight up ownership rights, they have financial interests. So what's happening is, is essentially the people who we rely on, these bureaucrats in Washington that we rely on to keep us safe and not put out dangerous drugs, well, they're making money, they're being bought off. And so uh, the pharmaceutical companies in conjunction with, with their owners and their major investors have essentially uh, bought silence, I would say. I mean, I think that's how I would characterize it. Well, is it more than that? Have there been other agendas at stake besides money? Oh, there's certainly other agendas. I mean, it depends on who you're looking at. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, we see a lot of this pointing now, and even Fauci's coming out and uh, suggesting that you know this was this whole virus was probably created in a lab. Uh, what he's not admitting is the fact that you know he gave sixty million dollars plus in grants to gain a function research um, that appears to have been tied in with all of this. Uh, you know, he's not talking about the money that he's put into or the support he's given to the Wuhan lab. I mean, he's, you know, he's covering all this up. And certainly the, the motive on this varies. You know, China does not want America to be strong. They want to damage us. So for their part, you know, that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, if you look at, at some of these people that are tied in that own the pharmaceutical interests, well, they're their personal interests are kind of hard to comment on, you know, it depends on the person, but, you know, you have uh, groups like the Gates Foundation that, that own massive amounts of pharmaceutical interests that are giving money to media right and left through every institute that they can. They're funneling through various institutes to keep the media shut up and, you know, their interest is money and power. Um, you know, it just kind of the motive seems to be it seems to vary based on the stakeholder, but there is certainly a lot going on here behind the scenes that no one's talking about. Well, I would say that there are many of us who are attempting 
to talk about it, to raise awareness, to bring concerns and legitimate questions to the public. And physicians, scientists, lawyers, even pastors in churches who are raising questions about using houses of worship as vaccination centers. All of the people that are trying to raise legitimate, moral, ethical, safety, and legal questions are absolutely being silenced in an orchestrated campaign to suppress any information about the vaccines that goes against the narrative of the stakeholders. And I'll give you an example. The BBC has an article this morning about the Trusted News Initiative to combat the spread of harmful vaccine disinformation. Trusted News Initiative is a name designed to hide its intention of censorship because this is a collusion among many media outlets and the government agencies and the pharmaceutical manufacturers to completely suppress any counter-narrative, any raising of any questions that are legitimate questions. Any comments on that and any suggestions on what people can do to break through this total suppression of safety questions, for example, and freedom questions, constitutional rights questions. Yeah, well, and you're dead on. I mean, there are people that are starting to speak out and, and the movement's growing. I mean, when I started on this, I, I swore half the time I was the only one in my right mind because I just couldn't find people that were speaking about this. But the truth has started to come out and it's coming out more and more rapidly. Um, this trusted news initiative thing is not real complicated to understand. The Gates Foundation, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bloomberg, all these guys, you know, they own the media. Uh, Gates Foundation do doesn't own it necessarily directly, but they donate so much money. And the pharmaceutical companies pay so much for advertising that the media is beholden to them. Basically, the bottom line is, is nobody watches mainstream media anymore because they never tell the truth. And so that's pretty cheap to control them because the only thing, the only commercials you see and the only uh, money that they have comes from groups like the Gates Foundation or the pharmaceutical companies or things like that. So, um, you know, these guys just said, hey, you're not going to, we're going to push this product out and you guys are going to either come on board or not. I mean, that's, it's speculation, but it certainly looks like that. So there's a, sure, we'll come on board, you know? Um, you know, there's absolutely no legitimate reason. I mean, listen, there has, we pulled the swine flu uh, vaccine off the market with, with just a handful of deaths, with nothing. This is way more than that. We've had more deaths just using the bears and stuff like that from this than we have for the last 20 years for all vaccines combined. There is legitimately no argument to be made that this should still be on the market for anyone. I mean, it's not tested, let alone children. I mean, we're literally experimenting on children. And let me say this, I cannot say this enough. 
Children are statistically at zero risk of death from COVID. Zero. They don't spread it and they aren't at risk from it. Why would you experiment on your child? I, I mean, in any sane world, that would be child abuse. It would be child endangerment. I mean, it's absolutely sick. But, you know, what we've had is they've very effectively co-opted the media. Pfizer and Moderna are and uh, Janssen are all prohibited by law from saying that this is safe and effective and everybody should get it. So what they've done is they've co-opted the media to say it for them. And they've, and they've done that uh, in conjunction with people like Fauci and his ilk who have a financial interest but don't mind giving the media backing so the media can say, well, Fauci said it's safe. And that has been one of the absolutely um, almost diabolical aspects of this because not only are the stakeholders who are pro prohibited by law, as you say, the pharmaceutical manufacturers from claiming safety and effectiveness when it's not FDA approved, and they really don't have safety data in any of these groups that they're pushing it out to now that were not in the clinical trials. But, but also what many people don't realize is that the pharmaceutical companies are totally immune from liability damage lawsuits. Government agencies typically are, but it's too difficult to sue the government. So the stakeholders in the vaccine uh, man, put mandates and pushing the vaccine onto into groups that were not tested, they actually are shifting all of the liability from the stakeholders to the private companies and private entity organizations such as churches who are conducting the vaccination centers. And no one seems to realize that all these pharmacy chains that are doing vaccinations massively, when, when people start waking up to the damages and realizing that they can sue the private companies when they can't sue the manufacturers, we've got major class action suit possibility on against the private companies, the grocery stores and pharmacies and businesses that have agreed to set up vaccination centers. And in addition, when they are now pushing it into the churches, they're actually transferring the liability to the churches. Any, could you help our listeners understand that from a legal perspective? Well, you know, the problem is, is there is a ton of legal support for the idea that, that you cannot mandate a vaccine under an EUA. I mean, it, when I say a ton of legal support, I mean, it just outright says it in the law, right? So you can't mandate this. So what they wanted to do is they want to get private employers and private entities to force it, to make your life so miserable that if you don't get it, you just, you can't live life. The problem is, is that if you're coerced into doing something that's not safe, well, the person coercing you can definitely be subject to liability on this. So, you know, a lot of these these unwitting nitwits are out there pushing this and thinking that they're doing something good, but they're really putting themselves at risk. So particularly while it's under EUA status. Now, the, right now, the, the 
DHHS people are trying their hardest to make the case that they should give full authorization to these poisons because they know that once they're fully authorized, there's more legal protection for the private entities to, uh, to force this. And that's the goal. The goal is to do that because it's harder legally to win against a private entity than it is against a government mandate. The government mandate is definitely illegal. The private, well, eh, you know, you know, it's it's not quite as clear. So, yeah, they keep pushing this out, and yeah, I they're pushing it out, and they're pushing it out under false pretenses that it's safe and effective. It's not been proven safe and effective in anyone, no one. It, let me be clear: under traditional guidelines, in no way, shape, or form has this been proven to be safe and effective for anyone, no matter what your age. So. The thing is, is they push this out, and the, but these buffoons who don't bother to do their homework and just trust whatever the government says, say, oh, okay, well, let's, let's, let's set up a vaccine clinic in my church or force my employees to get it. They're putting themselves at risk. You know, so anyways, DHHS is trying to do its part by making sure, because all the people that are going to make money off of this vaccine or that are making money off this vaccine are trying to push through uh, full authorization as quickly as possible. And, you know, they don't, they just don't care who dies from it. I mean, it's, as long as they're lining their pocket, they don't seem to care. Well, I, it may be bigger than that because they know that the stakeholders absolutely know the risk of these biological agents. And one of the things that is unknown to most of the public who, who are not able to get information on this is that we have never had a vaccine with such technology involving a lipid coding in nanotechnology delivery of the, um, I hate to call it a vaccine, biological agent is more accurate, but the that lipid, which means a fat, fatty molecule that makes, makes the material able to cross blood brain barrier and the placental barrier. We've never medically We've never had a vaccine that, if given to pregnancy, could cross the placental barrier and affect the developing baby who has no immune system to respond to the vaccine. That's medical point number one. Medical point number two, increasing the risk, is that we've never had vaccines that cross the blood-brain barrier. They're designed to do that. So... If you look at the medical risk alone, of forgetting the fact that we've had no long-term safety, it's only they were made available to and pushed out massively to the public and aggressively to the public with only two months in the clinical trial. And then they released the EUA and released it out to the market to inject people. But when you give a vaccine, the whole point of it is to stimulate an inflammatory response in the body. So the body begins to develop antibodies to that particular virus, for example. So 
when you're giving a vaccine that now crosses the blood-brain barrier and triggers inflammation throughout the brain and the spinal cord and the nervous system, you're setting the patient up for long-term risk in addition to immediate risk. And that is another absolutely critical medical safety fact that no one is disclosing to the public and the public is being discouraged from asking their doctors and the doctors are not getting this information. Most of the primary care doctors for my patients don't know these aspects of the vaccine. They're too busy. They don't have access to information through our normal channels. And so many of the primary care doctors don't even realize that this vaccine is engineered to be entirely different from vaccines we've all used for decades in our medical career. Do you, are, do you have any comments on that from a legal perspective in terms of informed consent? Well, I mean, you know, they had to change the definition of the word vaccine so that this would qualify as a vaccine. It's not a vaccine by any sort of a traditional definition. Would so, you comment on that and explain that point to our audience? Yeah. How did they change the definition? What did they do? They literally, if you look up the word uh, vaccine in the CDC, the definition under the under the law of the word vaccine was changed. Uh, it used to be defined differently. They've, they've changed it because it used to be, you know, basically dead viruses that are dead or dying viruses, weakened viruses that are used to, to promote immune response. They changed it to include basically this genetic reprogramming because this, this, this is not in any way, shape or form a traditional vaccine. This is gene therapy. Uh, we got the, the head of Moderna back in what, 08, 09, whenever, uh, doing a speech talking about mRNA being the key to reprogramming the human genome. I mean, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So this, to get this to qualify as a vaccine, they actually had to change the definition. So, I mean, that's kind of an important aspect of this. Just remember, you're only taking a vaccine under the new definition of vaccine. Well, Tom, one of the things that might help our listeners, if you have a link to that um, speech that you referred to from the CEO of Moderna talking about mRNA being the key to reprogramming the human genome, if, if you will send that to us at America Out Loud, we will put it up in a in the description of the show or in a resource that our listeners can have access to it so that they can go and see what the leadership in some of the pharmaceutical companies have been saying all along. People don't have to take our word for it. On the medical side, I've gone back and researched articles that support everything I've commented today. You've clearly have to research the legal support for the cases you're filing so our listeners can do the same and we encourage them to do that. If you will send that to us, we'll get it, we'll get it up there and let people see exactly what you're talking about. 
Yeah, I'll see if I can. I'll uh, I'll see if I can't grab that and send it over to you. I don't have it saved on my computer, but I will uh, certainly send that over. Well, I I just think the more that we can shine light on what the background is and what it has been and what the intentions are, in the broader sense, they they are the stakeholders have taken a traditional strategy under Propaganda 101 when they have just changed the definition of the vaccine, where they have described the vaccine, which is a biological agent with mRNA, as you just quoted the executive, key to reprogramming the human genome. genome. They are using a word that people associate with safety and with years of testing because that's their that's doctors and patients and that the public that's that's their only experience with vaccines. So they're using uh, it's like taking something and putting a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Positive yes. words for something with uh, perhaps other intent that is not positive and potentially dangerous and that is being hidden. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth everywhere here, right? Um, so they've got safe and effective. They try, you know, CDC, DHHS is saying that because they, under the law, they're saying that, it, you know, reasonably, it reasonably assumed to be safe and effective. And well, I don't think that you can reasonably assume that any of this stuff to be safe and effective based on the science. Um, but at the same time, you know, they want to give you the warm fuzzies. This You look at the studies, there aren't any. Um, you look at the, the long-term studies, there aren't any. You look at the studies on pregnant women, there's nothing. You look at the study on children, nothing. I mean, there's, there's, all these holes in everything that they say. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that you've got a lot of people who are, have vested financial interests saying it. And one of the things that I think that we should all be asking ourselves is this. So I'm guessing that we'll have some people in the audience who, who've gotten the vaccines and said, well, you know, I didn't have any major side effects. My arm was sore, but that was about it. And, uh, you know, it's fine, right? Well, here's the thing. There are requirements under the law. And great, that's great. I'm glad, hopefully we're wrong and that the, the uh, long-term side effects are very minimal and what have you. But it doesn't matter under the law. Under the law, before you get this vaccine, someone was required to do this. So you, you Dr. Lee, walk in to get your vaccine, which I think is probably unlikely, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pretend here. Um, you walk in and they say, well, hi, Dr. Lee, we're going to we're going to talk to you a little bit about this vaccine because we have to give you informed consent before you can agree to take it. Under the rule the law, we have to disclose to you this. This is not an approved vaccine. This is only authorized under an emergency use authorization. So you have to understand that we don't actually know what all of the side effects or, or potential side effects are. Right now, we know that you could uh, certainly experience side effects up to and including death, anaphylaxis, impotence, sterility. 
neuro, uh, neurocognitive issues, uh, other neurological issues, blood clots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a lot more risks, but we, we just don't know them all yet. Uh, we can tell you that the benefits of the drug are that while it will not actually prevent the transmission of SARS-CoV-2, we do believe that it will reduce the symptoms of COVID-19 in some patients. So do you consent under these circumstances to getting this vaccine? Now, I've talked to people all over the country and not one person has said that happened, not one. It is clear as day under the law that has to happen. Clear as day, it's not happening. We are experimenting on people without informed consent. It is illegal. I want to come back and talk more about that after the break, Tom, because that is a hugely critical issue, not only legally, but medically, the lack of informed consent. We're going to take a short break here on Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host, talking with attorney Tom Renz, and we will be right back. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation for the second half of the first hour of a powerful two-hour show on vaccines, mandates, freedom initiatives, and more. This is Dr. Lee for America with attorney Tom Renz talking about his latest freedom initiative on the legal front in the attempt to protect your constitutional rights to make informed decisions about what medical therapy you decide to have. 
Thanks so much, Tom, for being with us today and welcome back. We were yeah, talking before the break about the informed consent issue and you were describing the fact that that is not being done. And I would confirm that from discussions with any of my patients who went ahead and got the vaccine and I either didn't know it or they decided to do it for other reasons. So there are more aspects to informed consent and there are more legal issues that are being violated. Could you describe that for the audience in more detail so that they understand what their rights are and what they should be given in the way of information before they decide to take this vaccine? Well, so this is really nefarious, right? Because under the law, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services is required to have a plan to ensure that both the, the people providing the vaccine and the people receiving the vaccine are given informed consent. They are going out of their way to avoid that. It is in direct contravention of the law. It couldn't be more clear. Uh, if you look at the CDC's infographics in terms of uh, you know side effects, things like that, it's so, so pared down. It's absolute garbage. Um, and it doesn't line up with the documentation that Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen have to put out, right? And the reason it doesn't is because the CDC thinks it can hide behind their governmental immunity, which we will find out eventually. Um, but, or DHHS, but here's the thing. They have an obligation to share the side effects. And one of the things that you've got to do is if you sit, if you go in there and they don't start, they don't tell you it's experimental and they don't tell you that you risk death by getting it, then they're lying to you. They're not telling you the potential side effects. They're not telling you what's going to, what could happen. And, you know, I urge people, if you, if you are going to get this, ask them, say, Hey, why aren't you giving me informed consent? How are you going to do this without informed consent? Ask them, go in there. If they won't give it, walk out. If they're li if they lie to you, walk out. You can look up the side effects. You can look up what's happening. There's information out there. I mean, we have people dying, people getting blood clots, people having all sorts of issues. I mean, you should have a right to know that. You know, anywhere else, if you watch if you watch TV and you watch the four million drug ads that are out there, every one of them talks about. If you take this, you risk the following, and uh, they go on a five-minute rant about all the things that can happen to you. They have to explain that to you. There's, there's a law. It's real clear. Now, they're trying to circumvent every law that they can on this because they don't really care about the law. They just want to get the more dose, as many doses in your arm as possible. But that's what's going on here. So we've got to, got to, got to make sure that you're getting informed consent. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, I'm, I'm considering, we haven't gotten there, but we're considering filing some lawsuits against some of these people. I mean, we saw that Facebook is intentionally hiding anything that could create vaccine hesitancy. Well, what they're actually doing is hiding side effects that are required to be disclosed by law. That's illegal. So, you know, if you, uh, if you get sick, you know, we're, we may be suing Facebook to say, hey, you guys covered this up. People couldn't give informed consent because you've been covering this up. 
Now, all these people are putting themselves at risk. They just don't think that anybody's going to call them on it. I think you're exactly right. I think the arrogance, absolute and utter arrogance and contempt for the American people that was clear in the body language and responses to Congress when Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg were called before Congress to testify about censorship and about covering up information shows you that they they do think that they are above the law. No one's going, they are too powerful. No one's going to call them on it. And they are just running roughshod over our constitution and the, and over human rights. And they are contributing to the enormous vaccine deaths. We're over 4,000 deaths in the VAERS system with estimates that that's only about 1% of what's actually taken place. So the numbers are really far higher than what's in the vaccine adverse event reporting system because we've known about the flaws in that system in CDC for many years. In fact, Harvard published a study in 2010 analyzing the deficiencies in the vaccine adverse event reporting system and made it clear that their data showed that only 1% of adverse events, which in most adverse of all is death, were reported to the VAERS system. So you extrapolate that to today when we have over 4,000 deaths and massive numbers of other complications permanent neurologic damage, for example, the numbers are truly staggering. And and that, I really, I have been urging that groups of lawyers take on these this abuse and this medical censorship that is killing people. And, and I hope that is done. It's, it's urgently needed. Yeah, well, I mean, we're working on it. The biggest problem is, is that there's not enough attorneys and there's not enough hours in the day. Um, you know, people haven't, a lot of people haven't yet realized just how dangerous these vaccines are. They're accustomed to our public health system trying to look out for them. And what's happened here is the public health system is doing just the opposite. Um, well, again, this is a repeat of Tuskegee, of Guatemala, um, of what the Nazis did. I mean, they're, they're experimenting on the public. Money, power, they know that they, they control everything and they expect that they'll be able to control this enough that the information won't come out, that the truth won't come out. Um, I don't know that they're going to be successful. We've got too many people that are willing to fight and that have been speaking out. The movement's grown. I think there's just too many people that know the truth right now. And I think, you know, over the next couple of years, as we see the massive numbers of side effects that are, that are, I pray that I'm wrong about that look like, but that look like they're going to be on their way. Um, you know, people like us are going to be calling them out. The real question though is, you know, are people going to wake, are we going to be able to wake enough people up that, that people say no way? Because we all know that this fall, they're going to claim that there's a new and more dangerous uh, mutated strain coming out. That mutated strain is really going to be side effects from this vaccine. But 
they're going to claim that it's a new, more dangerous mutated strain. Now, it's an outright lie. We know it's coming. They're going to try more lockdowns. Um, this mutated strain that they're going to claim is coming out that's actually a side effect from the vaccine will probably be far more dangerous than what we've had in the past. And so, you know, then, the, the well, this, it's a new strain. And that's why, you know, it, it uh, we've got to have this new booster shot that you've got to get, and it'll help with the new strain. And that's not the truth at all. We all know that's not the truth. But if they can pull this off, if they can get through this for another year or two and convince enough people to just shut up and keep taking their boosters, well, you've got a permanent class of, of people who are dependent on those boosters to live for the rest of their lives. That's where we're going. Well, and not only that, are getting increasingly more risk of permanent neurologic damage and debilitation loss of quality of life due to these vaccines crossing the blood-brain barrier and triggering inflammation in the entire nervous system. The science on what happens when you do that is truly alarming. And the tragedy is that with, without people being informed of, of those dangers, they don't know what is down the road for them. I've had people say, oh, well, I got the vaccine and I'm fine. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know the risk down the road of chronic neurologic inflammation. And Tom, one of the examples that we've seen in medicine for years is the chronic neurologic syndromes that come from viral inflammation of the nervous system with Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome. We, we have seen this with Lyme disease that is not a virus, it, but it's the chronic inflammatory situation in the brain as a result of the microorganism that is carried by ticks and causes Lyme disease. Just describing that very simply for right now. So there are many other microorganisms that have been associated with chronic neurologic inflammation leading to impairment, loss of quality of life, chronic fatigue, cognitive loss, neurodegenerative disorders, and the whole gamut. And this vaccine is designed to do exactly the same thing. And that is truly one of the things that is so alarming because it's insidious and people are not going to clearly link it to having gotten the vaccine a year ago. That's the risk. And that's that's another aspect for a lawsuit is long-term, these people getting the vaccines are being set up for long-term injury and there's no recourse for them. No, there's absolutely not. I mean, they can't even sue the vaccine manufacturers. We've made sure of that. I mean, this is 100%. It's, it's making the rich richer. It's a huge money transfer. We've got a, it's, it's a power grab. It, it's, you know, I mean, there's no recourse. I got a, I've got a kid 18, 19 years old. <clears throat> He's been in the hospital in a coma for two months, perfectly healthy, got the shot, dropped over in a coma, been there for two months. Family's got huge medical bills. What are they going to do about it? Right? Nothing. 
who are they going to sue? And uh, what are we going to do about that? Now, these a lot of these symptoms, and you know this better than I do, I've been told that the side effects are you know going to be coming up for two in two to fifteen years. Do you how are you going to draw how are you going to show the correlation fifteen years down the road? You know, I mean, ultimately that's going to take millions of dollars to in studies to prove, but there's no money to do that because you can't even win the lawsuit even if you do prove it. Well, that's exactly right. That's the point. That's that's exactly the point I was just making about the long-term damage of chronic neurologic inflammation that is damaging the entire nervous system. We know that about Lyme disease already and people struggle for years with that. And that's a very tiny percentage of the population. When you look at the massive numbers of people that have already been vaccinated, it's what? About a third of the American population those numbers are staggering when it comes to what is going to be the cost to society with medical bills that families can't pay, with loss of productivity at work, with chronic debilitation. What, what are you going to do about that? And yes, I think we need to be making more of the fact that People do have a, a, there is a legal remedy through suing the private vaccination centers that delivered the vaccine. The family you just mentioned, I hope there will be some attorneys that take that case as a pro bono and help that family sue the vaccination center where their child was vaccinated without informed consent. Well, and I'm hoping that we see a lot of those cases. Um, I, I wish that I had about 25 more attorneys on staff to help people because, you know, people, people that are, you know, they've got sick family members, they've got dying relatives, people who just all sorts of problems. And, you know, it's just being covered up. And, you know, it's not 100%. It's not, we have no idea whatsoever what the with the ultimate long term side effect rates going to be, it could be 10%, it could be 80%. We have no idea. But the thing is, is we already know that the short-term adverse uh, event rate is so much higher than any other vaccine on the market or any other drug on the market. And yet these corrupt monsters are gonna try and push this through for authorization and they're pushing it through for kids who are at no risk from this disease. It's so unethical. It is so illegal and yet no one's doing it. Where are our state attorney generals? Why has no one filed criminal charges on this? I can't do criminal charges because I'm not, not an attorney general or a prosecutor. So where are they? Why are we not calling our state AGs and our, our US AG and saying, hey, these people, they're doing this. It's clear. It couldn't be more clear they're breaking the law. Our Justice Department, are, they're, they're spending their time going after people like Eric Napute for keeping people safe instead of going after the monsters who are killing people. I, I know. I, I find it absolutely staggering to see what has happened that so many physicians in my field and attorneys in your field have simply not stood up for what is medically, ethically, and legally 
proper under our existing regulations? And that's a good question you ask about the state attorneys general. Why aren't they looking at what is being done that's a clear violation of legal principles and safety principles state by state? A class action suit with attorneys general joining together is what's needed. Are they all so intimidated that that they will not speak up for the American public? What is the American public going to do to try and defend itself and speak out? These are very serious questions affecting us. And that's why I think the vaccines are creating a serious constitutional crisis on the medical front, the legal front, and human rights. I agree. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, it, it's truly a crisis of epic proportions. Uh, you know, and I mean, you know, Dr. Lee, you can really lay out, you, I, you've had to have seen some of these people who've been injured by this, you know, you get the vaccine and you immediately have COVID. I mean, you know what this looks like. Oh, I, I know. In fact, I have, I do have it happening in my practice. I've got several and, and I'm putting together an hour program with the voices of some of those people because I think it's really important. One businesswoman, highly function, functioning businesswoman was so impaired neurologically after the Moderna vaccine that she, she really is having trouble functioning to run her business and very healthy before that. I have other patients who've developed intractable atrial fibrillation that have required major interventions. And now one has had the cardiac ablation surgery because nothing worked. And that was the day after the vaccine. She had no history before that. I've had people have blood clots and strokes. And this is one doctor in one small independent private practice, not a big hospital setting and not a large group practice. And the things I've seen are just, and in people that had been taking care of their health and things I'd been managing were stable. They, they didn't, they weren't obese. They didn't have diabetes. I, I just, I'm very concerned about what's happening to my patients, to their families and to the pressure on them and what's happening with these mandates. Are there any, any words to our listeners before we close today? Advice you can give them? Are, you, are your attorneys planning to set up an independent registry of injured people to file reports of injuries? I, the CDC database is clearly seriously flawed and they're not reporting on it. So, and people, for what we have in the CDC database, you can go to openvares.com and that's openvares.com. And you can go to wearethepreypreycom and read the book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. That will give you a great deal of background about what is happening that is not being reported. Any closing thoughts, Tom? Boy, please educate yourself and educate others. Uh, the TRO document is up, up and it has a ton of great, 
great, great information on it. Read that and more. We were going to have the preliminary injunction and uh, complaint coming up as soon as we get it filed. We'll post that everywhere. We need people to educate people. Everyone that you educate, you may save another life. It's that important. People say, what can I do to help? Please educate people. You want to help? Save lives. You save lives by educating. So please, I urge you, look at America's Frontline Doctors. Look at Make Americans Free Again. Look at Ohio Stands Up. Read that awesome book by Dr. Peter Bregan that Dr. Lee just mentioned. And, uh, you know, please speak out. Educate people. Say no. Do what you can. Civil disobedience that is done legally and safely and properly. Use your rights. Speak out. That is outstanding outstanding advice and certainly the right platform to do it on America Out Loud, where we are urging people to get loud and get involved. Could you repeat those websites again for our listeners before you sign off? America's Frontline Doctors, MakeAmericansFreeAgain.com, OhioStandsUp.org, and you can always check out Rens-Law.com. And that's R-E-N-Z law.com. Tom, you have been an amazing freedom warrior on so many fronts throughout the COVID pandemic. We are honored to have you with us and may God bless you and keep you safe in all of your heroic efforts. Thank you so much for joining us today on Voice of a Nation. Thank you. I'm very grateful that our listeners have had the opportunity to hear from attorney Tom Renz today. And I'd like to, before we close this first hour, I would like to summarize some of the key issues that he raised that you as listeners need to know to help protect yourself and learn the questions that you need to answer and have answered to your satisfaction before you make decisions on your medical care, and that includes the vaccine. So you wanna get a pencil and paper and take some notes. I wanna give you kind of a little checklist of what to think about. Number one, Tom Renz explained that the current vaccination program violates medical safety regulations and ethics in major ways. And the lack of informed consent means that you aren't being given the true scope of the risk picture with these experimental vaccines and weighing that carefully against the known potential benefits. Secondly, he brought out the point that this vaccination rollout and the way it is being conducted and the pressures that are being exerted on people to get the vaccine and continue getting boosters is a violation of U.S. law and international codes preventing and and prohibiting use of experimental medical agents under duress, meaning coercion with threats of losing your job, 
coercion with being told you can't enter a particular facility or get on an airplane without a vaccine. All of these are coercion and forcing use of an experimental agent. Tom Renz also talked about the fact that there are major conflicts of interest. And what he meant by that is the fact that there are financial stakes by those very in that the very people who are pushing the vaccines have for you to get it. They make money on it one way or another, whether it's the pharmaceutical companies, whether it's the CDC, FDA, and NIH that hold patents and get royalties on the patents, whether it's the employees of those agencies who are allowed to receive money for the patent interest that they have, such as Dr. Fauci. All of these issues about who has financial stakes and benefit to gain from pushing the vaccines on people, all of that has been swept under the rug or deliberately hidden from the public. And he also brought up the fact that the CDC changed the definition of what constitutes a vaccine. When you are looking at all of these issues, it is critically important for each one of you listening to this program to start asking questions. Go to the websites that he suggested where these issues are being laid out carefully for you to make an informed decision. And, and that, that is absolutely critical. You can't understand all that you have at stake if you have not been informed of potential risk versus the benefits. And that is what we as physicians have always done day in and day out with our patients. And that is what is missing in this huge situation that is potentially creating one of the most critical medical constitutional crises that I've certainly seen in my career. So I want all of you to think about this for yourself, your loved ones around you, and particularly your children for the future. Get loud, get involved, don't sit back and keep quiet. Your life and your health are at stake. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, signing off for today for the first hour. Stay tuned for a powerful second hour, continuing our discussion of all of these issues on the vaccines, the mandates, constitutional issues, your freedom, and what are some of the alternatives that can be safer and even more effective. Thank you for joining us today. Get involved, get loud, and we will see you back for the second hour on America Out Loud. The heart and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, honor, honor. our soul. soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. 
We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. And today, in the second hour of Voice of a Nation, we have a really, I think, a very important focus today following the hour with Tom Renz, the attorney who has filed the federal lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services in the United States for temporary restraining order to stop the push on vaccinating children and other issues in that lawsuit, which is very much needed in light of of some of the problems with the fact that people are being pushed to get vaccines when they were not, they were in a group that was not in the clinical trial. So coming out of that hour with attorney Tom Renz about the legal issues, I wanted to explore the issue of the vaccines from a broader perspective in looking at the Catholics who are concerned about the Pope's statement at the global summit over Mother's Day weekend when he was pushing for universal vaccination and then Fauci pushing for the churches to be used as vaccination centers. And that has become more of a push in the Catholic church. But for my listeners, we are all Catholics now because we are all being pushed by church leaders to get vaccinated. And some churches are opening their doors to become vaccination centers at a time when that's been unheard of for church leaders to be making medical recommendations to their parishioners, particularly with an experimental biological agent. Because I start off every time we talk about the vaccines to remind our listeners, regardless of the impression you get in the media, these are not FDA approved vaccines. They are still investigational, still experimental. And when you sign to get your vaccine, you are entering a clinical trial. You are not being given adequate information about long-term safety because there isn't any. It's analogous to one of the things that our one of our guests today can talk about. You, you would never build a building without analysis of its structural soundness and safety. And that's exactly what we're doing in pushing people who were not in the clinical trials to get vaccinated with no data, no data on how it might affect them now or in the future. So I wanted to approach it from that standpoint. I want to approach it from the standpoint of what do we as church members, what do we need to be understanding? What questions do we need to know to ask our church leaders? Why are they taking this unusual stance and to convey our concerns? So we're educating you, the listener, 
about things you need to think about within the church. But I want to broaden that to a bigger question with our two guests today coming from very different backgrounds. And then my background as a physician complements theirs. But we're going to be analyzing this question today from very different perspectives than what you've been hearing in the general discussion about these vaccines. One of my guests today is a gentleman I, I met recently, actually, I was invited to participate in a small group of concerned Catholics about the vaccine question. And Dr. Peter McCullough had invited me to join this group for the two of us to begin to give medical input to Catholic lay people who were concerned about the Pope's announcement at the Global Summit. And literally we met on Sunday afternoon of Mother's Day on an urgent meeting to begin to think about what should lay people be doing to craft a response based on science and medicine, the data and the, and the facts. Steve Smith is the founder of Interior Life, which is a Christian prayer apostolate. And that means it is a group, a prayer group dedicated to teaching people the Christian tradition of meditation. And he has developed the Interior Life mobile app that includes virtual retreats, guided meditation, and original meditative music that is soon going to be released for both the iPhone and Android. Steve is the author of 30 Days to Christian Meditation, and I've just gotten a gift of his book and absolutely looking forward to reading it. And that is very exciting to me personally, but he's also planning a new book is coming out soon, Five Days to Spiritual Vaccination. So mm -hmm. I want you to think about that and look for Steve's book. But what's even more fascinating to me when you look at the books and the, the work he's doing now, Steve had a career in forensic engineering. He was the executive of a leading construction engineering firm. He holds a PhD in structural engineering and was licensed to practice in dozens of states. He's conducted university level research and participated in Natural, National Science Foundation grant reviews. He authored a book on explosion resistant design for buildings and many other book chapters and dozens of peer reviewed papers. He was also an editorial reviewer for multiple technical journals and participated in the development of national design standards, including steering committee leadership. I'm honored to have him on our advisory team for Medicine and Ministry United. But then going on, it, I, I was absolutely um, fascinated to read this aspect of his career. Steve actually participated in and investigated some of the most notable disasters in recent times, including the Twin Towers terrorist attack in New York and the Hurricane Katrina destruction. He led the assessment 
of all high-risk construction in the city of New York following two fatal construction crane collapses in Manhattan. So what a fascinating background to bring to the discussion, a gentleman who has spent a career analyzing data, analyzing how you plan for a sound building. And in this case, our building is our body. So what do we need to do to look at the data on our bodies and things that affect our bodies? So now you see why it was so important that Steve be part of this discussion today. And then my other guest is one you have heard me interview before on a slightly different subject. Mark Keeley is a lead voice in Canada for public health policy. He also tragically lost his brother, David, to COVID. David as a healthy healthy man who, who biked 70 kilometers a day, including the day he was admitted to hospital with COVID. David died from complications of COVID-19 because he was denied access to early treatment. And I think you can understand why Mark has such a passion for the work that we, Dr. McCullough and his whole team and all of us frontline physicians are doing to get the message out for early treatment urgently to people directly because he has experienced how horrible it is to lose a family member, to have them die alone, a horrible death in hospital alone and no one able to see them. So that personal experience drives Mark, but Mark is also the principal of KNA Inc., a public policy and health management company providing Canadian standards in healthcare services, research and advice to the government and businesses in Canada. So we've got two people, one in the structural engineering side and one in the healthcare policy side. Our guests today are both involved at the highest levels in both countries, planning, safety, planning, logic and, and a ways to bring reason and organization and safety into the arena when it affects us and our safety. Mark is a former hospital administrator for 10 years, so he knows the hospital background. And from 2003 to 2007, Mark was the former CEO of the Ontario Pharmacy Association, so he understands getting medicines out to the public. And that is Canada's largest pharmacy organization. During his tenure, he steered the organization through some of the toughest issues of the day, including Transparent Drug Pricing System for Patients Act, which we could certainly use in the United States, and cross-border uh, legitimate drug trade. He lectures worldwide on prescription drug reform, desperately needed, and Mark was an advisor to John N. Turner, former Prime Minister of Canada for over 30 years on health and nuclear energy policies. For those of you who'd like to hear more from Mark, he can be heard on satellite radio on a regular basis on health and energy issues as a frequent commentator as well on political issues. I can't be more honored than to have both of you as guests on Voice of a Nation. This is America Out Loud, Voice of a Nation. 
is a is our platform for the people of the United States and the world that hear us. We are the voice who are, we are helping our people hear the truth and the science and the balance to explain all of the confusion and lies that people are experiencing. So thank you for being with us on America Out Loud. And we're going to get loud today with both of you. (laughs) Pleasure to be here, Dr. Lee. You are both Catholic. I am Protestant. I have similar concerns. We don't have a universal leader in the same way the Catholic Church does. But certainly the issues affecting all of us are, are very parallel. But in, in particular, I'd like to hear your thoughts in response to this, this sudden declaration from the Pope that the Catholic Church should be supporting universal vaccination. Well, on that, yeah, the concern, and this is Steve here. Lee, thank you again. Very nice to be here, especially, Mark, also with you. And the, the concern is always, obviously, how these things get put into practice, especially you know what started us originally, why I was so glad to get connected with you and Dr. McCullough, was actually a statement that came from the United States Catholic bishops, which, depending on how it was read, they're saying it could be taken as as supporting the vaccination as a moral responsibility and you know, even a necessity or perhaps a mandate. It wasn't clear in that language. It was somewhat ambiguous. And ambiguous is, is a, a very challenging place to be, I'm sure, when you're trying to figure out public policy. Mark can certainly talk much more to that because it leaves people scratching their heads a bit. And then as we were trying to think of ways perhaps to get clarity from the bishops that the vaccination should be an individual choice subject to informed consent, conscience rights, and so forth. Then the, the Pope statement came on, on top of that. And the statements that come from Vatican obviously get quite a bit of attention, but how they actually get interpreted and put into action depends very much on context, how the Pope is speaking. Is he speaking as an individual? Is he speaking from his official office as Pope? What is the rest of the Catholic hierarchy saying? But it's easy to have a single statement come out, get picked up by the media and get taken and run with. And before you know it, it's getting somehow folded into public policy, perhaps in ways that were never intended in the first place. So we're trying to get out ahead of that and start getting clarity from the church. It, yeah, it, it's obviously a challenging place to be in. Again, uh, Mark and, and Lee, this gets more into your areas than obviously of public health and, and how you actually roll these things out. But that that's our concern, obviously, with the statements coming out from the church. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Lee, and, and thank you, too, for having me on the show today. And I'm, I'm just as honored to be with, with Steve. But more importantly, when I think about you and, and Dr. McCullough, Dr. Lee, and, and, and others, it's formidable. Um, and the fact that you're courageous enough to talk about this in the context of not only faith, but, but, but practical health care and practical health care policy is very fascinating. When, when you look at this, um, I'll just say this comment by the Vatican with respect to um, the, the, a, a sort of a policy, I'm not certain that, that uh, and I agree with Steve, by the way, I'm not certain that the world's media are really characterizing this well. I mean, in my country, for example, the Council of Bishops, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty um, august group. 
But one of the things that I think is being lost in this whole thing is that you know people, most people view the Vatican as a political tool rather than um, a, a dogmatic tool. And frankly, if it was going to be dogmatic, they should never venture into uh, this place where we would be looking at ensuring that a papal bull, for example, suggested that the entire uh, Catholic faith, a billion plus people in this world, should submit to being vaccinated when uh, that's not really uh, something that I believe that the Catholic Church should be wading into. You know, I'll just make this comment as a, as a public policy uh, wonk, but somebody who really understands this from a public policy perspective, Dr. Lee, and that is that, that um, we, we don't have a bully pulpit anymore. And it seems to me like uh, right now the world is being seduced by this notion that the way to fix this is to get everybody vaccinated. Uh, so, you know, as a, it, it's, a, it's a really fine line. I'm not certain that, um, that Catholics in Canada, for example, are really buying hook, line, and sinker into the Pope's most recent uh, commentary. Well, I think that's important because it's, it's lacking in common sense. And I think that's why there's so much hesitancy on the part of the, the public. And, I mean, let's face it. The public is suddenly being told that everybody should be vaccinated when that's never been our medical policy. We don't, we've never vaccinated people had the disease and recovered, for one thing. We've never vaccinated people out of the get-go with a brand new vaccine or experimental agent, as these more properly should be called, when they, people were not in the clinical trials. So it's not making sense but you're right, we've lost our bully pulpit. And two things I'd like to say in response to what you said. Number one, I, I think it is abhorrent that there is a government push to use houses of worship for any government purpose. That is fundamentally wrong as it relates to the way our country was founded and in many ways, to my understanding, it violates the Canadian charter rights. So uh, and you can speak to that. So fundamentally, I absolutely do not agree that the government agencies that are headed, in this case, by Fauci making these announcements, uh, that churches should be used as vaccination centers. I think that's abhorrent. I think the churches are a zone where the the church people should decide things like that should not come from government. We're already dealing with the fact that we're in a, in a time when the push is to replace God with government. So that's my number one very strong point. And I'll go to my grave saying that. The second very strong point is, and I'll go to my grave saying this too, I do not think non-physicians particularly church leaders, government bureaucrats, state governors, any of them should be making medical recommendations that do not take into account individual patient evaluation of risk and benefit. That is a fundamental principle of medicine. We are losing it rapidly, and I am very concerned about it, and I will not be quiet about it. Well, that's absolutely right on, on both of those. 
you know what, if I could do a little tangent here, firstly, right off from where Mark left off with that one size fits all, why to just trying to fix this by getting everyone vaccinated. And then Dr. Lee, what you're saying that that just completely takes away, not just individual rights of informed consent, but but that standard of medical ethic of attending to each patient for their their needs. We mentioned my background in forensic engineering, and that's what really led into this. In forensics, when you go to investigate something, my background is mostly explosions when things blow up or fall down. When that happens, it's not done in a, in a laboratory setting. It's not a controlled event. It's very chaotic. And then you're brought in to investigate it afterwards. And in fact, you don't investigate it right away. First, it's the concern is preservation of life, as it should be. The first responders come in and they're trying to do everything they can to save anyone that would be there. They're not worried about saving evidence. So then you come in and try to make sense out of what happened there. And you start with a hypothesis and then you test it. You look for your evidence at, at a catastrophic site like that. Let's say hypothetically you have 20 pieces of evidence. And you look at the debris field, you're trying to figure out how did the explosion start? You look at how everything was spread out in the destruction field. You look for thermal indicators, you know, what are the sources of heat or things charred, looking for where the fuel was, where the ignition might've started. Then you step back and of those 20 pieces of evidence, maybe you collect maybe 15, 16 or 17 of them point all in the same direction. Maybe some of them are outliers. Those are things that may have been damaged during the rescue and recovery phase, but you, know, you look for a convergence of evidence to your hypothesis. And if you don't have that preponderance of evidence, you move on. And just as a layperson standing back when COVID came in, the hypothesis seemed to be that this was an extremely lethal pathogen. And Mark, as you said, that our only option was to hunker down, wait for a vaccine to come, and then vaccinate everybody. Well, I don't know, as a layman, maybe that's right. Maybe that is literally our only option now. But just from a lay perspective, all of the evidence just was consistently pointing away with a divergence of evidence, the masking. Everyone knows the science is important. If you've just walked past someone who was a smoker, you know, just you can smell the smoke on them through their mask and yours. I'm certified to be on hazmat sites. I'm familiar with respirators of various types, N95 regular masks, and so on. The science isn't there behind that. The lockdowns we see more and more don't make sense. You had the moving target of the PCR testing. You had the suppression of treatment. You had discontinuities in the actual fatality, mortality data. Just all of the evidence seemed to be moving away from that hypothesis of one size fits all mask everybody, vaccinate everybody. This was so very refreshing when we found voices like yours, Dr. Lee, Mark, and now there are people on the policy side that are, are getting suppressed, but that this isn't a one size fits all. That's why we ended up you know, coming to you very grateful to have this kind of support of looking how do we, especially as you're saying, Dr. Lee, they're looking to move all of this and really focus the pressure on people of faith, on our churches. How do we have a rational response to that that is actually based on evidence and gets us to proper public policy and proper individual health care? Steve, very quickly, and, and then I want to hear Mark's comment. Very quickly, we had good evidence. Dr. Peter McCullough led teams of doctors that were, were designing outcome studies. There were there, there are some clinical, randomized clinical trials. We, we've had good evidence 
actually some going back 20 years under Fauci's leadership at NIH about the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine as an antiviral agent. But, but more importantly, we've had it in this pandemic and it's absolutely been censored, suppressed, stolen off of the internet by the big tech controllers of what people hear. And so patients out there struggling to make sense of all this have been denied access to the very life-saving evidence that goes to your point. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a lethal virus. You have to take treatment early and then it's no worse in the death rate than the seasonal flu. But the key is you have to start early and that's what was denied because that was the only way they could get the EUA for a vaccine in the United States. Mark, you were gonna comment. Well, it, listen, I think your comment uh, just now makes a heck of a lot of sense, but if you look at it in, in, in the context and, and both you and Steve uh, made reference to it about uh, fundamental rights, in my country right now, um, one of the things that's being talked about at, at high levels, but I think it's going to cascade down to uh, uh, to uh, to lay people, is this notion of our Canadian Constitution. You called it the Bill of Rights, which is absolutely correct. Um, which it, under Section Seven of our Charter of Human Rights, there are three fundamental rights that um, need to be upheld in my country. One is the right to life. The second is the right to liberty. And the third is the right to the security of the person. When you look at things like informed consent as it relates to this vaccination, if I'm saying to you, and this is where people are getting shamed in Canada, if I say to you, I'm not interested in a vaccine for a whole host of reasons, I would be shamed. Secondly, they're putting, uh, there, there's some, what they like to refer to in my country as fundamental justice, as it relates to you know, denial of those three rights under section seven. And one of them is we need herd immunity in Canada. So everybody must be vaccinated. And in order for you to prove that you're vaccinated, I want you to have a, uh, to have a, a stamp on your passport. They call these, these uh, vaccine passports that tell everybody that you're um, in the herd. You're in the you're in the uh, in the crowd. Those kinds of issues, I think, are going to uh, bite the uh, governments in the rear ends in my country, largely because you've got real fundamental issues right now. There are, and you made reference to them, Dr. Lee. There are uh, other therapies that could uh, really counter a lot of the effects of COVID-19 that are being largely not only ignored but fundamentally ignored in uh, a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, fashions, including the denial of any of that being made public on social media platforms. I think that there's a rationale for that, largely because there was a, a whole host of, uh, of probably incredible information and, and untruths that were being uh, propagated on social media platforms, and to, including, you know, some uh, naturopathic uh, therapies, etc., that were just holus bolus. But in the vainglorious attempt for the World Health Organization and all of those uh, member nations to buy into this convention that this is the only way to do this, and it's you know it's making uh, pharma companies very very wealthy in the in the uh, in the ongoing uh, months and months and months. 
or to turn what we're seeing as a pandemic into an endemic that really propagates that, uh, that notion about this kind of a process rather than other therapies is something that I think people really have to wake up to. So that's why I'm grateful that we can have these conversations, largely because I think people need to see you know, one, uh, one door at a time that there are other options here and they have to make their voice heard. And whether it's uh, the church or whether it's groups like yours, Dr. Lee, or these kinds of radio shows, I think we need to do this over and over again. You are totally correct and very powerfully said. We'll talk more about this after the break. We're coming up on a break right now. This is Dr. Lee for America, uh, your team nation. Guest host for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation. We'll be right back. As we celebrate our five-year anniversary, America Out Loud has expanded its mission through a newly designed website with a host of new contributors, all carrying a vibrant message of hope and survival for this country we love. AmericaOutloud.com. Together, we'll secure the future for generations to come. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm on America Out Loud, Voice of a Nation, continuing our discussion in the second hour with two incredibly knowledgeable gentlemen from Canada and the United States, one a forensic structural engineer and one a health policy and, and public health expert who's been a hospital administrator and the CEO of Canada's largest pharmacy organization. What an amazing breadth of experience to bring to our listeners today about how we as citizens of both countries need to look at the ways that our rights are being violated in these pushes to mass vaccination without discussing informed consent with putting people into vaccines that were not in the clinical trials. There are two big lies in this whole situation with COVID. The first major lie 
that was used to push lockdowns and masks is the lie of asymptomatic spread that has been totally rebutted. And yet people still think that is the case. The second lie, and there are others, but the second important lie is that the only way medically to herd immunity is with a vaccine. That is flagrantly false. And the people that are telling the public know, know that it's false. Herd immunity refers to, long before vaccines were developed, it re actually refers to a virus or any infectious disease spreading in the population. People get it and recover and develop immunity. And the more people that naturally are infected and develop immunity, the less the infectious organism has people to spread to. Herd immunity, natural immunity, is far stronger than any vaccine for any disease, but that is being ignored. The public is being lied to when, you, when you're told the only way to herd immunity is a vaccine. So our listeners, I want you to know two things. The data does not support asymptomatic spread. The data clearly supports natural immunity is far superior to any vaccine. And that ties into what Mark was talking about before the break and what Steve was talking about in the way that you begin to look at how do you craft a sound policy? So our concerns are not only spiritual. Why are the churches jumping into a medical decision and pushing people and using the power and authority of the church to do so? On the other side, it's a physical science physical medicine, basic biology discussion as well. Why are we ignoring natural immunity? Why are we suppressing early treatment and offering people only one option, a vaccine? Well, those are yeah, exactly the, the, the questions that we face. Again, back to that idea of the information, the data, it needs to be convergent on, on what your hypothesis is and what your public policy is then after that. And that's, again, what, what we're encountering right and left. You get the message through the mainstream media, which unfortunately has mostly been promulgated through the churches. I'm in Maryland, at least, where, where I am. First on the asymptomatic spread, and Dr. Lee, it was through you and Dr. McCullough. You're talking about the studies by Cow and Madewell showing that asymptomatic spread is less than 1%. And then uh, you folks educated us that the natural immunity is far better than the vaccinated immunity, that that was, as I recall, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that that was demonstrated through SARS-CoV-1, yes. how that played out. And we saw uh, um, studies being circulated by your group now that that is being demonstrated. It is very much the same now as SARS-CoV-2. And this is the type of information that, again, it, it's a, a different uh, sector, but it's the same underlying process. When we're doing buildings, when you discover that something you've been doing represents a hazard, you change it. You look at the data, you step back. Is it converging? If so, what do we need to change? If the data doesn't converge, if it's going all different directions, then fine, you keep scratching your head and, and you keep working at it. Here, everything <laughs> moves towards what, what you're talking about, Dr. Lee, of having individual patient-based care, that we don't have this tremendous overall societal catastrophe on us that calls for these draconian measures. So what 
we're looking at now because it is both. We live in the in the world, but not of the world. We have the city of God, city of man. We're looking at how do we use our small Christian communities and start networking to because obviously we can't count on uh, certainly the mainstream media to get this information out. We're finding many of our other institutions we can't count on. So how do we do this individually as, as things were done uh, since the beginning of time, really, if we're looking back at life and liberty, how, how is that originally promulgated? And Dr. Lee, I know you you're doing quite a bit of this now through churches where people originally came together and shared information. So that's what we're looking to do now. You, you do have this body of information that we can use to make good informed decisions. How do we get that out in a more grassroots way through our churches? You know, I, I like what you're saying, Stephen. Frankly, I'll, I'll add to that too. One of the, 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 the words that's missing in this entire um, uh, argument globally is the, the word dogma. And when you think about this in the context of, of, of health and even faith, dogma really matters. You can't argue with dogma when it comes to medicine. It's, uh, it's not consensus. It's not debate. And we agree on things. It, it either is or it isn't. And frankly, we know in our Catholic faith, the thing that makes it very different from, from others is we believe in transubstantiation. That is a very fundamental dogma that, that really drives a lot of Catholics to believe in uh, virtually the, the essence of our faith. And so what I'm trying to say to Catholics, uh, ideally, is you don't, don't worry about the Vatican. The Vatican is a political entity. The, the, the Pope is the head of state of Vatican. He's got ambassadors all over the world to, to lead his message. But, but in my church, my community, we don't answer to the Pope. We answer to our dogma. We answer to the essence of transubstantiation. So when I look at that in the, in the context of this and this, uh, the pandemic, we really need to have dogma uh, front and center in all of our discussions. You know, I'll say this too, Dr. Lee, one of the things that's really fundamentally uh, missing here is we have an epidemic in this world and the epidemic as a physician you'll know is on, is on chronic disease. Two in particular, uh, hypertension and diabetes. Those two chronic diseases are virulent. And every year in my country and in other uh, jurisdictions where I do work, we have uh, annual conferences every year on the development of clinical practice guidelines for how we manage diabetes or hypertension. And we're not doing that with this. You've got thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions of physicians who are innovators, innovators all over this world looking at how we manage through this pandemic. And oftentimes it's not in line with the, what the WHO is talking about. Go to Bolivia, for goodness sakes. Go to uh, Tanzania. Go to uh, Brazil. Uh, even come to northern uh, communities in Canada. It's fundamentally different than what uh, uh, Fauci and the WHO was talking about. That's the conversation, and I agree with Steve 100%. We need to go door-to-door uh, uh, -door and person-to-person -person on. And your listeners have a huge opportunity to raise their voice uh, after this uh, radio show, I hope, Dr. Lee. Well, Mark, both you and Steve bring up something that, that I have said for years actually going back to the, the big push to look at the reality and some of the criminal violations of statutes in the United States in what Planned Parenthood was doing with 
pushing the abortion agenda and using abortion as a tool to salvage body parts of human babies to then use for, to sell for various purposes, ostensibly research. And, and I was just outraged as a physician because that was not, had not been my understanding of what Planned Parenthood actually did. And the, the expose that came in the timeframe 2014 to 2015 just made me enraged as a physician focused on being entirely focused on my goal is preservation of life and death coming in God's time, not our time as, as humans. And that led me to research other aspects of this and I come back to over and over the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran minister during the time of Nazi Germany and, and lost his life for speaking out for, for God and for life and for the, the heinous crimes that were going on against humanity in that era. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke to the people and to his, the members of his parish, which is what I think our church leaders should be doing now. And his words ring so true and so urgently needed today. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. And that is why our listeners need to speak out. When you do not speak and do not express your faith, your views of common sense, your rights as a citizen, you are complicit in an evil agenda of controlling the population and suppressing knowledge about what could save your life. I, I fundamentally agree with that. Um, more importantly, I think that it, you know if we if we get to the to uh, another um, you know a root of uh, of faith and and uh, our ability to act in public, you know God gives us one thing too, right? The ability to choose, and so we make a choice to be quiet or we make a choice to say something. And uh, you know, frankly, I'm Irish Catholic, uh, Dr. Lee, so I love fighting, and uh, like I like to make sure that people know that. I'm going to use my dying breath to make sure that people understand that what's happening right now really needs uh, a clear um, alternative uh, set of uh, facts and circumstances. And I like to call it counterfact. And there's a lot of counterfact out there. You know, you look at what Dr. McCullough is doing in your country and even Dr. Pierre Corey. I think those guys are, are doing an extraordinary job with you in terms of, of adding to that uh, counterfact and uh, we need to make sure that that message is is taken and replicated in every other country where there are innovators like those two um, who are practicing medicine well and <laughs> with that combining that with dr lee your connection with abortion look i know that's a loaded issue obviously but the parallels you 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 can't deny the the striking connection in, in abortion we have something that is a great evil that is masked it's sold as being about women's health 
I don't need to tell the two of you that that's the, the complete opposite of what it is, that when you look at the physical, mental, spiritual health of women and men, just the effects of abortion on everybody, the scourge that it is in all aspects of health, it is anything but women's health. And it seems that that's the picture that's taking place now with all of the COVID issues. First, in the lockdowns to begin with, we see the complete disaster that's going to be for individual health. That's probably going to dwarf and not making light of any life that was lost to the disease, but just looking at all of the other collateral fallout from the lockdowns and heaven only knows what from the vaccine, but still being sold as health. It's all in the name of public health. But look, on abortion, we made great headway in the pro-life movement through a grassroots effort that was from the bottom up. It's individuals, small groups, especially uh, amongst the younger generation. The most pro-life generation are the young people because of person to person. Mark, you said you have to knock door by door, person to person, touching another person, sharing truth with love. It's worked on the abortion, changing minds and hearts. And now we might actually see it changing law. And so here again with COVID, person by person, getting the actual facts, data out so people get the real story and can start making informed decisions. One of the things, people think that meditation and prayer and calming the mind and centering and getting still are, are about the psychological effects. But from the beginning of my career, I was interested in the whole field of psychoneuroimmunology. And we actually, and, and I've done talks on this, I've, I've taught patients these techniques for 35 years. And psychoneuroimmunology has really been ignored in the current focus on vaccines as the only way to improve your immunity or maybe vitamins. But what that means is that everything that you're talking about with prayer and meditation and the skills of learning self-hypnosis, self-relaxation skills, there are many names used for the same technique, but that causes physical changes in the body. And we can show that there have been studies, literally, as I said, going back to the very beginning of my career, I was digging into this. And the, the studies are very clear that you improve the immune response with the very techniques you're talking about. And that is at a physical level. And stress disrupts the normal immune response. And they can show, I mean, it's clear, the data's, the data's out there, it's been out there for decades in formal scientific data, but it's been there for eons. In the setting of acute grief, we will often see, particularly in long marriages with spouses that were very close, you see one of the couple dies and within a year or two, the diagnoses of diabetes and cancer, for example, skyrocket because the immune response is suppressed by the psychological state of grief. Well, if we take that fast forward into the COVID pandemic, the psychological state of fear that was, was induced as a political weapon, and there's no question about that, what happens is people's immune response is impaired by living in fear. And that's at a physiological, fundamental, biological 
basis. So everything that we're talking about all fits together and is played out through the human body the way God designed it. And we've got to take all of this into account. It's why I've enjoyed exploring with Mark some of the things that could be done in a health setting where we integrate all these pieces. Medicine's become too fragmented and it's been driving me nuts. It's why I do the work I do to connect the dots with for patients. And often when patients have questions about the vaccine, I will give them the medical facts and encourage them to make their decision. But I also, for my patients of faith, will say to them, pray for God to guide you and listen to the sense that you get. God does not give us a spirit of fear. If you have a fear about this vaccine or any medical treatment, surgery or anything else, then stop and wait and may get more information and make a decision. You do not have to rush into it. You, you know, I, what you just said, Dr. Lee, is fantastic. You know, I, I wanna just sort of dovetail with a, a bit of an anecdote about when I was a hospital administrator. We had a care, a care team protocol, whether it was for palliative care or post-op rehabilitation, it didn't matter. The whole point of the exercise was, we said in our hospital, here's our care team. And part of the care team was our hospital chaplain. And the reason I think that's important for you to know is because we gave uh, equal value to the power of prayer for through that chaplain as a patient was either rehabilitating or palliating. So it was really, really interesting because that, that had a focus not only on the patient and his or her illness, but on the family helping them through that uh, care team regimen, including prayer, to uh, to heal themselves. Very powerful. It, it absolutely is. Steve, you wanted to comment on that? Yeah, well, two things. First, just one comment so I don't lose track of this one. In terms of connecting people that might be out there and you know, I, I'm not part of a small church community or so on, how, how do I get tied into this? Uh, both Patrick Coffin, C-O-F-F-I-N. His media company is very good. Dr. Lee, I know you were one of his guest contributors for a, a seminar, a conference he had recently on the whole COVID misinformation. And also the remnant, the remnant um, are, are both places that are, are good resources to find out how to stay informed, how to get connected perhaps with other like-minded Christians. Uh, that Just one general question I, I have back to you folks, everything you were saying there, Dr. Lee, of all of that fallout that could be expected from this, from over a year of people just living with this nonstop heightened anxiety, on top of just the baseline, you keep hearing about all the people, for instance, who haven't gone in for cancer screening. It just seems there's just a time bomb waiting to hit our, our public health system of all of the fallout. Do you all see, especially on the policy side, is, is anyone, are, are the smart people giving any attention to that to plan ahead? Are they just staring down <laughs> at their feet just or with their head in the sand? I, I'm going to jump in, Dr. Lee. The answer to that, Steve, is no. And, and I'll tell you why, because we're leaving the decision making a lot of times to uh, to I'm, I'm going to say this. And this is my country. And I'm seeing this in a lot of other countries, too. We're leaving the decision making to public health. Um, I, I think we need to really be um, more effective with public health to help them to innovate. You know, they're still using words from the, the last pandemic and 
in the, in the Spanish flu from 1918. Those words are still in public health parlance. That's, that's wrong. And there's not any innovation that I think has come to the, to the fore that we could look to that says, here's what we could do as a, as a world to manage when we have these kinds of insidious pandemics that are announced. My point on that is, uh, you know, you're asking the question about what we could do. What's missing out of this entire uh, equation is what's happening as a consequence of the attention, the enormous attention on the pandemic. And what's really missing is this unbelievable ignorance uh, of what's happening with other uh, issues. Do you know? I mean, you could say this in my country. Do you know in my country in 2020, you, if you looked at the data, they'd say, boy, there were no incidences of cancer. Because we, were, we, weren't, we weren't even talking about cancer. We were talking about the pandemic. We're going to have this bolus in the world of more, uh, I'll just say, chronic disease based on our, our leaving it alone or ignoring it for the past 15 months. You've got wait times now for surgeries, for elective surgeries that are going to balloon. You've got uh, incidences of cancers and other chronic diseases that are, that's going to be, in my opinion, the fourth or fifth wave that we're going to have to deal with. And we haven't dealt with that because we've been spending all of our time on the pandemic. And frankly, what uh, Dr. Lee uh, has been saying almost right from the start is that there are other um, opportunities to manage this at a community level that are being ignored. And that's where I think this quote unquote, what I like to refer to as an apostolic mission uh, needs to, uh, to, to come to the fore. And I hope, I hope, because I know in my country, people are starting to say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm hearing that, you know, there are other uh, legitimate um, alternatives to just a vaccine and not to be seduced by the fact that a vaccine is a cure because it isn't. And the problem is that people are being misled on that very last point, Mark. People are being misled that if they get the vaccine, they don't have to worry. Well, that's not true. We know that from the flu vaccines. The flu vaccines essentially decrease the severity of symptoms. You can still get the flu. You just don't get as sick. With the COVID vaccines, you can still get COVID. In fact, many of us in practice, medical practice are seeing Half of our new COVID cases are people who've had the vaccine. You can still get infected. You can still get sick. And the problem is that we people don't understand that. And we still need treatment. Even if people have been vaccinated, when they get sick with COVID, which can happen, they've got to, we've got to have treatment available. And I'm just looking at a quote from Dr. Pierre Corey just this morning. He is on record saying that it is literally criminal that there has been suppression of data on the effectiveness of ivermectin that has cost half a million lives. And that is a direct quote from Dr. Pierre Corey, one of the leaders in the frontline critical care COVID coalition of critical care doctors treating COVID day in and day out and using these medicines, repurposed old medicines for COVID. And so I'd like just in the last couple of minutes we have, would either of you like to leave any messages or quick resources for our listeners to turn to 
thank you for the two you mentioned, Steve. Any any others from either of you? Well, I'll just make my closing comment. One, I'll just encourage people to do everything that they can to resist vaccine mandates. That is the gateway to all types of evil. Regardless of where you stand on the vaccine, if you've had it yourself, if you think it is good or beneficial as an individual, that's fine. My understanding is there is no public health argument in favor of vaccine. It is all downside, no up. If you can join in any of the class action suits, depending if you have someone that would be a harmed party would have standing. You have a student that can't go to the college they wanna go to, someone's going to lose their job, whatever you can do to get involved against the mandate, you're doing one of the best things that you can to help our country. Again, I would go to Patrick Coffin or the remnant with Michael Matt as places to stay plugged in from a spiritual level and certainly continue to follow Dr. Lee and her colleagues for, for truly useful and truthful medical guidance. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Mark, any last comments? Sure. I, I, listen, I, I agree with what Steve is saying. At the same time, I don't think that um, this notion that uh, vaccine is the only option available for anybody ought to be the way that we, we proceed in future. I mean, we all know that uh, uh, vaccinations are a choice. And uh, if you want to get one, fine. If you don't, I don't think you should be castigated or shunned or shamed. So Doctors for the World, we're looking right now to have our first annual global summit, and that'll be probably in October, the first weekend in October of this year. And, and we've got somewhere around 30,000 physicians and um, somewhere around 10,000 allied healthcare professionals and lawyers who are from all every continent on planet Earth looking at giving advice to governments on clinical practice guidelines. And uh, I, I'm going to be uh, tapping you for participation in that, Dr. Lee. I love your style. And I think that this is the kind of thing that's going to make a very, very impactful impression on the world. Part and parcel of it is the fact that, that uh, you know, we ought, to, we ought to make sure that those three rights that, that I talked about from Canada, about, about uh, the right to life, the right to, to liberty, and the right to make sure that, that you have uh, a security of yourself, a part and parcel of the thinking of this. I thank you very much for letting me wax on. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Steve. What a powerful combination of your backgrounds to bring to our listeners today. Thank you for being here. This is Dr. Lee for America on America Out Loud, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. When this goes to podcast, share it widely with your friends and family. We need to get loud, get involved and speak out. Help make the world around you a better place.